You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, episode 39 with Kwame Christian. You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Hart, and today on our show, we're talking with Kwame Christian. Kwame is a business lawyer, speaker and founder of the American Negotiation Institute. Now, in the short time that Kwame and I have known each other, I found him to be a passionate person about teaching entrepreneurs and, and business professionals the art of negotiation, really in hopes that they're able to get better deals and help advance their careers. He's regularly invited to give negotiation seminars and also consults with individuals and companies on how to create and implement powerful negotiation strategies. Now, he also hosts a podcast that's called Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. You definitely want to check that out. And on there, he interviews successful entrepreneurs and and shares powerful persuasion techniques. I'm excited to dive into today's episode. Kwame is a member of my mastermind group, and you know we've we've been engaging quite a bit over the past several weeks about some of what he's putting in place right now. So before we get started, I want to encourage you to connect with me right now on Twitter. Our handle is at tbpod. As you listen to this episode, feel free to tweet me and tweet your friends also about your favorite takeaway or what might have maybe inspired you most from this episode today to help you become a better negotiator. That said, let's dive into this week's episode number 39 with our guest Kwame Christian. Enjoy. Kwame, welcome to the show and thank you so very much for being our special guest today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited about us talking tonight and getting into a whole bunch of goodness with with negotiations. Yeah, it's always exciting when you get to um, have these interviews with a friend, you know, because it always flows a lot better. And the, and the yes. laughs are real, you know, so it's, it's I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So true. So, you know, I've I always love to start conversations off right from a place of gratitude and allows us to really kind of flush all kinds of negative and kind of really focus in on what really matters. Right. So maybe if you could share something that you're most grateful for in your life right now. Yeah, I'd say my son's birthday. He will, he turned one two days ago. So that is the thing. Or yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So I am grateful for his life, uh, for him uh, making it one year. And frankly, I am I'm grateful that I made it that one year because uh, there were times <laughs> where I was worried. But, <laughs> but we made it through. So we're one year in the book. That's awesome. Congrats, man. Thank you. Kwame, you're you're a first generation Caribbean American, right? That's right. Yeah, we are. It seems like we're we seem to be attracted to to one another. <laughs> you know, I find uh whenever I network in business, I'm so often I find out that these people that I meet with and we have the same vibe and everything, it turns out, oh, you know, I'm first generation Caribbean American too, or my mom's from Barbados, blah blah blah. So yeah, we we have that island vibe connecting us. That's right. Where's your family from? So my dad is from Dominica. The Nature Isle. And uh, my mom is from Guyana. And actually, that's where nice. Kai got his name. There's a large waterfall in Guyana called Kai Chir Falls. And uh, wow. that's how he got his name. Wow, that's cool. So where do you actually grow up? 
I grew up in a small town called Tiffin, Ohio. So I was born in New Jersey, in Livingston, and then we ended up somehow <laughs> in Tiffin, Ohio. <laughs> and then um, as soon as I had the ability to have choice, I chose not to live there anymore and moved to uh, <laughs> Columbus for school. Uh, so I'm a Buckeye. And um, that's where I met Whitney, and we went through school together. So she, we both got our undergrad from OSU, and then I went through, got my law degree and a Master of Public Policy, and she got her med degree. And she continued on to do residency at OSU, too. Love that. Love that. Was was law something you're always inspired to do as a kid? Like, you know, was that forced on you by family? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know how it is in, in Caribbean households. You know, you have uh, ed- education. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't have a choice, you know. So what's funny is I never, ever, ever wanted to be a lawyer. That was never the plan. Um, really? Never. Yeah. So even when I went to school, it was all strategy. And so I wanted to do politics for the longest time. And so that's why I I got that uh, degree combination of law and, and public policy because I thought that would be a lot of that would be a g- good combo to give me some credibility when I want to run. And then as I started to learn more about politics, I I, I realized like I do not want to be uh, I don't I do not want to have any part of this corrupt system. I am too chill for I was that. Just gonna say I'm sure you could get some votes in a couple weeks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I t- yeah, I tell you, man, this uh this is fascinating. My my undergrad was in psychology so i'm having a field day uh trying to analyze this this chaos wow you obviously worked with another law firm before beginning your own practice right yeah yeah during school though uh so i had two experiences during school so i worked at a big firm during my after my first year and then i worked in-house with honda with their legal team uh, my second year and um when i did that I, i realized like the money is good but it's not that i need more to fulfill me. I knew it wasn't for me. And re- and remember, that was never my plan. So there's never, there wasn't any underlying part of me that uh, ever wanted to pursue it. It was all about resume building. And so then when I uh, decided not to do politics, I was like, I was sitting there being sworn in for the bar, asking myself what I want to be when I grow up, <laughs> you know? So mm. It was interesting. So my first full-time job was actually in the social justice world. I worked as a legal analyst, and so I analyzed law and policy and focused on racial discrimination. And um, so my big focus was on health disparities, in particular infant mortality in the U.S. Wow, that's interesting. Did you enjoy that? I... (sighs) I felt like I should have, but I didn't. And and here's why. And I look, and it's funny, whenever I look at um, my preferences now with a more um, nuanced perspective, I, I, can, right. I can realize the consistencies in my life. And so I remember I was that little boy when my mom was reading me stories. And you know how when you're a kid, you have your favorite stories. Um, whenever we got to the part where the, the villain was starting to take over, I would have my mom skip that part and just go to the resolution. Really? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so for me, in, uh, when I was doing this uh, social justice work, I was, I was enjoying it in... in in ter- in when I consider the impact I was having on the people that I was working with, but when you're doing the when you're in the social justice world and you're dealing with race in particular, there was never an instance where I came home and said, "Hey, Whitney, guess what? I solved the racism today." You know that <laughs> that never happened. You know, and so I'm a guy who needs momentum. I need wins, and I never felt like I was getting that. And um, 
not only that, I didn't feel like it was my calling. I could do it well, but it wasn't my passion and it didn't really match my skill sets that well. But, you know, I made the best of it. I think the the biggest thing that came of it for me is I had the opportunity to travel around the country giving these presentations on health disparities and uh, racism in the U.S. And it made me a lot more com- comfortable and competent as a presenter. So now when I'm around doing my negotiation seminars, it's really easy. When like one of my compared to one of my last presentations, which was giving an implicit bias to the police, <laughs> uh, talking about the issues with with um, the killings of black males. That is what you call a tough audience. Yes. (laughs) So after after doing presentations like that, everything else seems a lot easier. Wow. So how did that ignite? So like, take us from there. Like, did that somehow ignite a spark to you starting your own practice? It ignited the spark because it allowed me to, to realize that it wasn't for me. And I think there's a lot of value in coming to a a part in your career where you can eliminate an option. You know, it's like, okay, I felt like this is what I should be doing Um, as a competent black male. This is something that I should be passionate about. And I felt kind of guilty for a while that it, that I wasn't passionate about it, but I just had to be honest with myself and really do some serious introspection and see what it is that interests me. And so it was a job where even though the, the topics that I was covering were very heavy and I was presenting a lot, I did have a lot of downtime. And so in that time, I, ask myself, what do I love doing? And it was always entrepreneurship. Even when I was a little kid, um, I was always trying to find ways to sell things and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, I need to start my business. And so I asked, what kind of business can you start? Like, well, you have a law license. Let's start there. And so that's when I started the business law firm. And so I opened it in uh, September 2014 and was uh, just building it on the side while working full time. And then uh, this year is when I took the leap and uh, and left the full time job to start the firm to, to do wow. the firm full time. Exciting! So yeah. this is just a, a very delicate time, right? Where oh, you're yeah. still in, in, in the phase of building and figuring stuff out, right? Oh yeah. And you know the the toughest part for me was the timing because, like I said, we just had a baby. So Whitney's in residency, which means she's working really, really long hours, but without much compensation. And then right. um, you know we have a house, we have a mortgage, we have a baby, and that's when I decide. You know what? I'm quitting this job. So that was, <laughs> that was, it was tough. But um, I realized like I was on my way to living a comfortable life. And for me, the way, the, the, the way that I operate is that the fear of regret is much more powerful than the fear of failure. So I was afraid of getting too comfortable and just coasting at this level doing something that I know I'm not interested in. And so I said, you know what? If there's a time to do it, there's never there's never going to be a perfect time. And so um, I know I'm jumping the gun here, but one of my favorite sayings is fail faster. So I was like, I'm going yep. to make mistakes. Let's make this leap now and we'll make adjustments as we go. Yes. So what was something that you maybe feared on the journey that you had to overcome, right? To, to be able to experience the growth that would allow you to step out on your own. It's interesting. And I, I think this fear, it, it's not obvious to somebody who's not in my position. So the biggest fear I had was the fear of 
of humiliation. And so the law, the legal profession is very conservative. And so for me, I come here and I graduate from a really good law school and uh, right. all my friends are getting firm jobs and here I am uh, going solo. And so I, I, my the fear at the back of my head was everybody's going to think I'm going solo because I couldn't get a job, because I wasn't smart enough, uh, blah, blah, blah. But then I had right. to realize like you are concerning yourself with people who don't, who aren't even really your friends, you know, the people who are closest to you, the people who are actually your stakeholders, your friends, your family, um, they're supporting you in this. They're the ones that matter. How do you feel about Mm -hmm. it, Kwame? Do you think this is the right thing to do? Then do it. And then for all of those other people who just have opinions or criticisms, just ignore them. And what I realized is that really those um, those fears, uh, the fears of criticism were, frankly, fabrications. They, they were self-imposed. Yes. And I think the majority of the barriers that we put in front of, of ourselves are self-imposed. And so yes. when you realize you're creating these fictional straw men, it's easier to take them down. So true. So you have like two years in business now. You said you started September 2014, right? Yes. Two years sounds like a very short period of time to someone who might be in a work world. Mm-hmm. But as an entrepreneur, there's a wealth of knowledge that you've gained in that short period of time, right? right. Is there anything you wished you had known in hindsight before you started a business? Hmm. That's a good question. Now looking back? You know, Yes, there is. And I I think I limited my introspection when I was thinking about what I loved. Because yes, entrepreneurship was the thing I loved. And I stopped short. I, I think I stopped my analysis of myself short when I settled on law. And I think ultimately it works in my favor. But understanding that this was going to be temporary because I knew law wasn't my passion, I, I knew this was going to be a short-term fix. I, I needed right. to still find my passion because entrepreneurship was only one part of the equation. And so now then in um, February or March when I quit my job, obviously I had a lot more free time on my hands. And so <laughs> I continued my introspection. So it's like, okay, Kwame, now you're solo. You're working with startups and small businesses. That's cool. But what really is your passion? Like, what would you do for free? And the answer came pretty quickly. It would be, I would do, I would teach people how to negotiate. And to that point, what I was doing to get more clients is I was putting on negotiation seminars for small business owners and entrepreneurs. And I was getting a lot of great feedback and I was really, 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 really enjoying myself doing it. And so when I came to that conclusion, I was just like, yeah, it's obvious. Do that. And that's when I incorporated the American Negotiation Institute and I've been growing the law firm uh, to pay the bills and uh, the Negotiation Institute to further the passion. And then um, the goal is afterwards in the next year or so for that to supplant the law firm in the, in my in my life. Right. So this kind of gives us a, a nice segue, right? Folks listening in tonight, uh, Kwame has become the negotiation expert. And, you know, we want to be able to to dive into the rest of the episode and really have him impart some wisdom on how, you know, you and I can really improve on our own negotiation skills. But, you know, Kwame, before we dive into a deeper discussion, maybe let's let's maybe cover some foundation pieces first, right? So if you could tell us what is your definition of negotiation? Okay. Um, So my definition of negotiation is anytime you are in a conversation with somebody and one or more people in that conversation want something. And so for me, I favor this broad definition because it makes you realize that we are negotiating every day every single day. And 
the reason that I love negotiation so much, and this is why I fell in love with it once I started studying it, is that it's the only business skill or one of the only business skills that can be equally as powerful both at home and at work. I was just going to say, like, I'm I'm thinking that my daughter will negotiate with me like every minute of the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's important to hold hone these skills for domestic reasons as, as well. So, yeah, <laughs> I think everybody out there who has a significant other would be like, oh, yeah, I am negotiating. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so Absolutely. when I it's funny, you know, when you um when you buy a car, you start to see that car everywhere on the street and you become hyper aware of it. Yep. Um, that's how it is with negotiation. Once it's almost like uh, my life before and after is like me realizing I needed glasses and putting them on and now I see it everywhere. And so um, I've been taking advantage of advantage of opportunities to negotiate both at home and at work to to my benefit. And I'd say, honestly, the the most important negotiation I've had this year was when I did make that leap um, from working full time to starting the practice. You know, that wasn't an easy conversation with my wife. And I don't I honestly don't know if I could have pulled it off if I didn't have this this background, if I didn't negotiate it. (laughs) Right. If I didn't uh, approach it like a negotiation, I think that that could have been uh... (laughs) That could have been war. You know, that would have been bad. So uh, I'm recognizing its benefits everywhere. Right. (laughs) I'm just thinking like, man, you got a new kid (laughs) and a mortgage. And you're trying to tell your wife you're going to quit your job. (laughs) You better can negotiate really well. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my shining moments. (laughs) That's right. So you're a lawyer. Let's make an argument, right? Let's make an argument on, or have you make an argument on why negotiation is one of the most important skills that an entrepreneur needs to develop and utilize to be able to experience that success in their business. For sure. Um, the beautiful thing about negotiation is that it serves two pur- three purposes. So the first one is offensive uses of negotiation. That's when you're trying to get more, like close deals at a higher, at a higher price point to aggressively uh, expand your business. The second reason you would negotiate is for defensive purposes. And so that's when it comes to expenses. So let's say we're negotiating a lease, trying to save money on those type of expenses. And when you're thinking about defensive uses of negotiation, think about those expenses that compound. So again, lease for an example. So let's say we save $50, on a lease, which is pretty modest. But over the course of the year, if it's $100, you know, that's pretty significant. You know, $1,200, that, that, that means something. Uh, that could be a month of daycare for all you parents out there, <laughs> you know? So, yes. So that, that matters. And so even small things that I negotiate just to keep my um, skills sharp. And I know as a podcaster, you would appreciate this. I, I negotiated the price down on my microphone. Um, that's something <laughs> I did. Um, nice. <laughs> and uh, one of the, and I, I'll get to this a little bit later too, but one of the things I do to hone my skills um, just out in the marketplace is I ask for things that I know I will never get or should ha- should never get. And it's called, I call it rejection therapy. So I do it because it has, it serves two purposes. Uh, typically in a negotiation, like the first step is going to be the ask, asking for what you want. And that's where most people fail because they don't want to look greedy or they don't want to look needy. Those are the two big reasons. But when you, um, when you engage in rejection therapy, you start to get over that. And so two things could happen. 
Either they say no and you move on with your life and you realize that rejection doesn't kill you and you're more apt to ask in the future. Or they say yes and you get what you asked for, which is great. <laughs> so it's win-win. And so an example is I it was my birthday last week. And so my um, I was at a coffee shop with um, one of my mentees and they said, hey, Kwame, we see it's your birthday. Here's a free pastry um, because I had one of those re- rewards cards. And I was like, thank you. Well, I'm here with my mentee. Can he get one too? He has no right to get a free pastry, but we got it. We got really? it. Yeah, yeah. And and when you start to push the limit on this, you start to realize that there's flexibility everywhere, you know. And the example I always give is if let here, let me ask you, <laughs> let me ask you this question: um, When you drove home this morning or when this evening, I'm assuming the speed limit varied from 25 to 55. Did you always drive the speed limit? No. Of course not. You The only people who drive the speed limit perfectly are people who are prison escapees. I feel like that's <laughs> it's not normal. <laughs> There's a reason for you, for you not driving the speed limit. But the thing is, the uh, the speed limit is an actual law. You know, we are knowingly violating the law because we understand that there is a little bit of fluff built into the speed limit. But the thing is, now some civilian goes and makes up a price and we assume it's written in stone and we just accept it every time. But there's fluff in most prices, too. And so that's where the defensive uses of negotiation comes in play, because you can always try and negotiate for a little bit more. And then the last thing is the third and I think the most important benefit of negotiating is the ability to build relationships, because you can negotiate, get higher prices on your contract and then have your clients like you even more because of the way you handled yourself in that negotiation. And that's a it's a beautiful thing. Because you're not only building economic capital, but in the process, you're always focusing on figuring out how you can build relationship capital as well. And it's interesting, the third one you mentioned as build relationships, I'm I'm sure that understanding how to effectively use the first two are important to not make the third in an inverted outcome. <laughs> right, exactly. Am I right in saying that? Like, you know, you don't want to harm that relationship by forcing a bad negotiation, right? Exactly. And and in my negotiations, I typically start off, not typically, if I'm doing it right, (laughs) I start off by affirming the relationship, by saying something that clearly sets the tone as a collaborative tone. Like, we're here to work Mm -hmm. together. Our goals align or we wouldn't be here having this conversation. So I'm interested to hear from your perspective and share my perspective and we'll figure out a way to make this work. You know, and then start the conversation from that understanding. Right. Man, that's this is really interesting. So you covered the what and the why, right? Mm-hmm. How how can we get better at negotiating in and and for our businesses, maybe? Right? Yeah. So I think the first one is uh, the first way we can do that is by asking better questions. And so mm-hmm. the thing is, uh, <laughs> I gave this example on another podcast. Uh, do you ever watch Scandal? Yes. <laughs> so I used to watch Scandal too, but there was something that always bugged me with Scandal. Um, every once in a while, some some of the char- one of the characters would have uh, an impassioned moment and and just speak, do this dramatic long monologue for one to two minutes, and the other person would just be overwhelmed by the the rhetoric and the the logical points that you've made, and then they would concede. In real life, it rarely happens that way because um, people don't want to feel like they lost an argument. And so the way that you get around that is that you help them to convince themselves because it's really difficult to actually 
bully through somebody and, and convince them. And here's the here's the funny part. Let's say you do overwhelm somebody with facts and arguments. If that's you on the receiving end, how do you feel? You don't feel good. You don't feel good. So even if you push through and get compliance when uh, and, and get an agreement, compliance is going to be an issue because that when people feel slighted, they're going yep. to try to undermine you in other ways. And so how do we get around that? By asking questions. And we do that by asking open-ended questions. So okay. here's a question for you, uh, a little uh, game for you. So if you had a choice, if you were driving, would you rather have your hand on the steering wheel or your foot on the gas or brake pedal? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you had to have a choice. <laughs> it's some weird world where you had to choose between and one the And on steering, other. dude. <laughs> okay. And so why is that? If you have the option, so the options are to have your hand on the steering wheel or your foot on the gas or brake. Mm-hmm. Foot on the brake, dude. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. And, and why? Yeah, and why? why is probably, you know, I have the ability to, to control movement, right? Okay. We can stop or go. Cool. Uh, okay. Interesting. I, I, I couldn't make the argument either way. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then what was funny is that it's on the steering wheel. You can steer the direction of where you want, where you're wanting to go. Right. But right. without a break, you can't stop. That's true. That's true. And it's a, it's a bit of a trick question because you can't really be wrong in this. And see, for me is that I like to use the, my, keep my hand on the steering wheel. And this is why, right. because you can decide how fast or slow we go, but I'm going to decide where we're going. And, and so that's that's the metaphor I use for controlling a conversation. And so how do we put our hands on the steering wheel? We do it by asking questions. And so this is a great example because in, in this conversation, you I'm the one that's talking the most, but you are the one who's in complete control because you're asking me the questions. I'm going wherever you want me to I, go. You know, and I, so that's the way that I like to use my negotiations. And so I like to have the breakdown of communication about 70-30 in their favor because I know if I'm doing that, I'm getting more information because I'm asking great questions. And if you structure your questions the right way and you're really intentional about the sequencing of your questions, you can lead them down a logical path and have them convince themselves. And the beautiful thing is after the conversation, if you were to ask them what made you change your mind, they'll say, you know, I just thought about it differently. And then I realized that, you know, uh, I'm going to do it this way, which happens to be your way. And so it's it's kind of like inception. <laughs> you know, you, you planted this uh, the outcome deep into their mind and you just helped them get there and you right. get what you want, but they feel like they were part of the decision. So it sounds like negotiation is just a fundamental like sales skill too, man. Oh yeah. And that's the thing. It's um sales and negotiation are cousins, you know, and they're going to be showing up at the same parties almost every time. And so for me, the difference between sales and negotiation is that sales is about generating interest and negotiation is about closing deals. And so here's an example. Um, if you watch Shark Tank, you'd see that, uh, Somebody would come up and they would have this really cool pitch. They have their, you know, they talk about the statistics. They talk about how many likes they have on Facebook and how many sales they have, blah, 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 blah. And so that's the sales portion. And then the sharks would say, okay, I'm interested. Here's an offer. 
And so then and can't negotiate. they can't negotiate because what, what do they do? They start talking about the statistics. They start talking about the accolades and the, and the sales is like, yeah, we know that you've, you've sold me. You have effectively generated interest and now I am interested. Thank you. But now we have shifted to a negotiation. And so now we right. need to have the conversation about what this deal is going to look like. Wow. This is really good. You have me actually <laughs> pause in thought here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So Kwame, give us some examples here, right? Like you're a lawyer and an entrepreneur yourself. How yeah. has negotiation helped advance the business, your practice yeah. and your career? The, the answer to this is going to be a little bit surprising because, yeah, of course, it helps me to get higher retainers. Of course, that's that's the obvious one. But what's not as obvious is that after I get those retainers, I'm constantly negotiating with my clients still because after I start doing the work, I now need to convince my clients of utilizing the proper course of action. So the people that we negotiate with the most are going to be the people closest to us. So it's going to be like the example with me and my wife. If you have a business partner, you're going to be negotiating with your business partner. If you have clients that you're interacting with, you're going to be negotiating with them as well. And so you have to constantly be on your toes and nurture that relationship, which is one of the goals of negotiation, um, and also make sure that they utilize the right course of action. And it's tough because a lot of times you get clients who are hard headed and they still want to do things their way. And so you have to be patient and utilize these techniques to make sure that they comply even after they pay you. Call me. I could keep talking about this for the rest of the <laughs> night, man. This is you've sparked my interest here. Thank you. Oh, this, <laughs> awesome. this is why I love it. It's, it's so pertinent to everyone. Wow. So what's next? What can we look forward to from Kwame? You know, maybe before the book is, is complete. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so what's next? So the next things for me is uh, next year, my focus, well, actually starting from now, my focus is going to be on helping business partners negotiate with each other. Because for me as a lawyer, I've seen too many times where, I, where good businesses fail because of bad relationships. And so when they come to me, they look look, they, they have their legal documents all in disarray. And then they say, listen, I need to dissolve this partnership. I need to get out of this partnership with my partner. He or she is terrible. And I'm just looking like, well, first of all, this shouldn't have happened because you don't have your foundational legal documents in order. Um, the right. second reason it shouldn't have happened is because you two are incompatible, just completely incompatible. And we should have seen that from the beginning. But um, right. the, the way that the majority of partnerships start, it's almost like these, um, it's the on the business version of going to Vegas and getting married at a drive-through chapel. We we talk business. We're we're entrepreneurs. We are generally excitable, and we start going back and forth. And we're like, hey, we should start a business. That sounds great. And now they're married. And they haven't done any investigation to see how well the relationship will work. And so this, um, what I'm going to be focusing on now is almost like premarital class for business partners, helping them investigate how to have those difficult conversations about equity, about roles and responsibility and expectations, and showing them how they can resolve disputes that are inevitable in, in business. Yes, yes, yes. Kwame, I will just pause you right there and tell anyone listening that is considering getting into a partnership to definitely give thought you either need to reach out to Kwame or someone like Kwame and get consultation and guidance on this because it's a very, very important discussion to have before you get into uh, uh, before you sign your name as you know, a, a co-founder, um, you really need to understand all sides of what's involved with the partnership. Very, very important. Right. 
Kwame, I just appreciate you for for sharing some knowledge, man. You know, we're nearing the end uh, of of the episode, but you know, I'd love to have you provide some resources to our listeners to help them sharpen their minds a bit more. And um, you know, I was hoping maybe you could share one book that you've read recently that's inspired you. For sure. Oh, this is tough picking just one. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's you can a... give us a couple. We're, we're good if you have a couple of them that you want to share. Okay. Um, the big one for me is The One Thing, the book called The One the Thing. The One Thing. Especially yes. for entrepreneurs, because like I said, we are we tend to be excitable and we, send to, we tend to really thrive in the ideation stage. We have just too many thoughts running through our head. And The One Thing for me really helped me to focus and focus on accomplishing one thing and building it and being intentional about it before moving on to the next. So that's one book uh, on the business side that I would strongly recommend. On the negotiation side, I would recommend Negotiation Genius. And for me, that was by far the best negotiation book I've ever read. Um, It really had me thinking about, it introduced me to a a lot of new concepts that I wasn't familiar with and which surprised me because I was like, I was, you know, it's funny when you start to focus in on something thing, you start to feel really good. Like, oh, you know, I know this, I know this. But then what's interesting is that as you keep learning, you start to expose your own ignorance. And then you start to realize just how much you don't know. And that's what I really appreciate about that book is because it really humbled me because it exposed me to so much that I didn't know. And even topics that I was familiar familiar with, it addressed it in a way, a different angle that made me think about it in a completely different way. So I, I love that book. Kwame, what's what's something small you've done this month that you're proud of? What is something small? Um, I would say consistency. And the thing is, uh, people kind of overlook the power of consistency. Just con- yes. just doing the right thing perpetually. And so one thing that I've done this month is every day. Of course, I've missed a couple days, but um, send two podcast pitches to uh, business podcasters because I realized that after doing the analysis from the book, The One Thing, I realized that the best thing that I can do to grow the negotiation side of my business with the American Negotiation Institute is get in front of as many people as possible. And so I, um, what I have to do in order to do that is I need to listen to at least two episodes of somebody's podcast. And if I like it, if I think it's really substantive, I will send them a really thoughtful message explaining why I appreciate what they're doing with their podcast and why I think it's good and talking about what I could offer. And, you know, it's been paying dividends. So I think probably by the end of the year, um, I already have about 10 interviews coming up. I think I could end up with 25. And I started this endeavor um, about starting in the like last week of September. So, wow. Yeah, it's it's been work. And you know what's funny? So for those of you that don't know, Stephen and I are in a, a mastermind group and it was your interview with um, with Ace Chapman. Ace Chapman. When I realized that he that man is everywhere. And I was yes. like, that's a brilliant idea. Let me do that. Yes. So um, yes. I'm, I'm following in, in his mighty footsteps. Nice. I think it sparked. I think it, it sparked the same outcome for me as well. And, you know, from from Ace's interview and realizing his podcast strategy, it it inspired me to also jump on on many other podcasts as well. So nice. Ace, if you're listening to this one, definitely you've you've you've, you've started a fire. <laughs> That's right. And it's funny because you've you've been on mine, too. So we're having yes. this cross pollination here. Yes. Yes. Crazy. <laughs> uh, Kwame, name an online resource. It could be an app 
software or tool that you use every day and you can't live without it. For service professionals um, who trade time for money, uh, there's an app called Hours Tracker. And uh, I typically don't buy apps, but I tried the light version and I was automatically hooked. So billing time is really critical as an attorney, but it is the most tedious thing to do. But with um, Hours Tracker, you just clock in and clock out and that's it. And you can take comments to say exactly what you did. And so for me, honestly, this could be a negotiation point too. For me, it made me a lot more comfortable when I was talking about my prices and talking about how much time I spent on, on projects. Because if anybody had any questions, I would just email them. They You could just export the, the, the document in PDF form or Excel form, and they'll see exactly what I was doing at what time. And when you have it down to the minute, yeah, you know, people really don't have much to say after that. Right. Right. Good trans. Good way to be transparent and put it all out there. Right. That's that's good, man. So Kwame, before we wrap up, I would love to invite you to share one action that our future entrepreneurs should commit to this week to help them blaze their trail. I would say start engaging in some rejection therapy. Make a game out of it. So think about things that you want and ask for it. Just ask. And that's the start. And um, once once you start to get some success, it, it can become a little bit addictive. So that would be my first step. Become comfortable with asking and become comfortable with rejection. Because when the time comes for those big negotiations, you will be battle tested and ready to go. Yes, so true. Dude, before we let you go, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, you've, you've, you've really sparked a lot of serious thought. We might have a conversation here in a few minutes after this call ends. <laughs> I would love it. And that's why I love, I love doing this, you know, seeing that spark in other people when they realize that it's everywhere. And then when clients come to me on the consulting side um, with the American Negotiation Institute with, with a problem and I get to sit down and work through it with them, there's, yeah. there's nothing better. Kwame, I, I appreciate it. I really, I love this episode. I love you sharing your story and then really speaking to us about the negotiation, the benefits and the rewards of of effective negotiation skills. Tell us how we can stay connected to you and then we can go ahead and finish up for today. For sure. The, the best way is by LinkedIn. And so whenever somebody connects with me on LinkedIn, I send you a personal response and I and we chat, you know, because whenever for, for me, it was the weirdest thing. And I'm sure you could uh, you could relate to this as a podcaster. Um, I could see the statistics. I knew the people were out there, but I didn't know who they were. It was like I was speaking to a, an invisible audience. So whenever yep. people whenever my message resonates with people. I like to connect with them personally and ask, um, what is it that interests you? What would you like to hear? Because I can talk about this stuff for days, as you can tell, but it really means nothing if my content isn't pertinent. So I always like to hear directly from people via LinkedIn. Let me know who you are, what you're interested in, and how I can help. And I'll try to focus my content in that way. And then another way too is um, I always want to create value for the people who are listening. And so if there's anybody out there who is currently in a partnership or is interested in starting one, I have a freebie for you. If you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash partnership, you can get a free partnership success guide that'll help you build the foundation for your partnership and um, talk about the things that you need to address in order to have a solid relationship. And then for entrepreneurs in general... If you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash law, you can get a six-page legal guide talking about everything you need to 
have in order to have your business start on the right foot. That's awesome. I'm going to make sure we post all the links to all these great resources that Kwame is so gracious to share with us. Make sure that those are up on our, our sh- uh, on Kwame's show notes page. You can find that at tbpod.com. Kwame, thank you so much for being here, my man. My pleasure. This was a blast. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tvpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.